welcome to the show. I appreciate you tuning in. You're listening to Vote Your Conscience with Kevin Stolba. On the last episode of Vote Your Conscience, we went over the education system and how I thought it needed to be changed to having more importance put on character building rather than just learning subject matter. Um, Character building, leadership, responsibility, and honesty. And at the end of the last episode, we didn't get um, quite through what I wanted to uh, about the point of honesty. So we are going to start off uh, with that today. And then we're going to um, go into more of why people don't vote and, you know, trying to figure out how we can get more of the people that are you know, disenfranchised or believe that their vote doesn't count to actually, you know, get up, get out to the polls, um, at least for the presidential elections, but hopefully for the state and local elections as well, because they're actually at even lower rates on average than the national elections. So just to start out here, Um, We'll go over a little bit, like I said, I didn't get to uh, discussing honesty in the school system and what I think about honesty in the last episode, and I wanted to cover that for a little bit. So um, basically, I don't think that the education system instilled honesty in as many of us as it should have, and there's a few reasons that I believe for that, um, or there's a few reasons that I believe that is. And I'll go over really quick um, what I think. So, you know, the importance of grades is one of them. The importance of college, the importance of authority, and then how they taught us about drugs, sex, um, you know, freedom of choice, what to do in life, um, and what, what's really important in life and what we should be focusing on in our lives. So just to start with, you know, grades, I think putting this whole importance and telling us, you know, that everything revolves around grades for all the time that we're in school, you know, the importance of your grades are only going to matter if you're going to be going to college and, you know, you're going to need a college degree for what you want to do. The grades still aren't going to be the main focus, though, because you need to develop a lot of other things in your life as well. If you're going to be successful in whatever field you end up going into. So I just think they pressure us so much to get good grades and kids have to focus on that instead of a lot of the other important areas of life that they could be focusing on. So putting all this importance on grades really makes kids focus on, you know, getting good grades alone instead of a lot of the other areas that they could be focusing on in their lives. So that's similar with, you know, the importance of college that they make it seem like in order to have a good life, you need to go to college. But even currently, you know, only half of people get college degrees about. So, you know, what are the other half supposed to do? We're supposed to think that we can't have a good life because we don't have a college degree because the school system, when I was in it, pushed college above basically everything else. And if only half of us are going to end up going to college and getting a college degree, 
you know, it's leaving out a lot of other uh, life options. And what is that supposed to make, you know, kids feel if they know they're not on that trajectory already? Just being honest about what the other options are and being honest about the actual likelihood of success and the likelihood of you making it through college. Most adults, I think, understand this, that everyone's not going to go to college and that there are a lot of other options because anyone who, you know, is an adult that's 30, 40, 50 years old, they all know people who didn't go to college that are still successful. So, you know, they know plumbers and mechanics and all sorts of different service people and people who are in many different trades or even just work their way up into a company. And it's going to be the same today as it was, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you can still work your way up in a company and the trades are still very profitable for people who end up going into them. Um, so that's, that's another one of the things just pushing, you know, those in combination grades and college, I think is, a lie that most teachers know um, and most people in the education system understand to some extent that college isn't going to be the only um, the only gradient of success that you're going to be able to have in life. So I just think that's one thing that confuses kids on what should be important and that's a failure of honesty, in my opinion, because we could have more honest talks about what's actually going to happen in our lives and prepare for it. Um, to continue on with the other things I mentioned, you know, authority in the school system, they make it seem like you have to submit to authority from a very young age. They're telling you that you have to listen to the teacher, you have to listen to the principal, you have to listen to the counselor, the you know, supervisors on the playground, your parents, adults, every adult. And the adults don't always know what's best for you. And most adults understand this. They understand it at least on a conceptual level. I understand that in parenting, or if you are a mentor in whatever way, you know, if you're a teacher or an adult that has supervision over children, it's harder to you know, do that in practice because you care so much about how well they do um, and protecting them. So these kids grow up into adults thinking that they always have to submit to authority and then they have a bad boss or a bad employer, you know, or a doctor or whatever the circumstances is, whatever authority figure, and they think that the best thing to do is to submit and listen. And when you have a bad employer, that's not going to be the best thing to do for, you know, your life or society. Just continuing on with an employer that is cheating, stealing, you know, polluting, breaking laws isn't going to have the benefit um, to you or to, you know, society, the environment, whatever the employer is doing that is nefarious. I mean, we're not really taught to stand up to these authority figures. And I don't think that the education system is doing that specifically on purpose, at least not the people, the actual people who are involved in the education system, the teachers and the principals. 
I think the education system as a whole is made to indoctrinate us into listening to authority and submitting, basically. But I don't think that the actual people, you know, the teachers that I had, don't seem like they're the type of people who want that. But it makes their lives easier, so it's easy to do where the child gets punished for misbehaving and they get praised for always listening. And misbehavior is a broad term because it depends on if what they're actually doing is bad or it's just an interruption or it's a hassle for whatever authority figure it is when it's dealing with a child. So I think that is another form of a lie and a failure of honesty um, in the education system is just always trying to get kids to submit to authority uh, without reason. So another topic that I brought up before was drugs and sex. And I believe that the education system lied about those topics a lot in the, uh, you know, teaching of those topics to us when we were children. So um, I believe that that was not beneficial to, you know, over-exaggerate how bad drugs are or the outcomes of sex as well. And they basically have this, um, you know, strategy of zero drugs, zero sex. And when I was um, in elementary school, you know, they had the D.A.R.E. program and the Just Say No program, basically, in strategy. And the problem is when you are teaching kids to believe that they should never do drugs and they shouldn't have sex, you know, unless they want a child, is that that's not reality. So your kids and kids in society are going to end up having sex. They're going to end up doing drugs. Not every kid is going to end up getting into any of the, or all of these things. But when you're telling lies or exaggerating to the extremes in a classroom that's discussing drugs or sex, and then the children catch on to one lie, why should they believe you on the other things? So like in my case, when they told me how horrible marijuana was, when I found out what was actually going on with it, it leads into an entire other situation where, well, are they lying about all of these other drugs as well? In those types of circumstances and, you know, the extreme cases like you do heroin one time and you're addicted for life, those aren't true statements. And there's been studies on these things, you know, for decades before this. It's not like this was a new you know, a new phenomenon that they, they don't understand at all. People have been studying, you know, drug abuse and drug use. So when they teach kids, they just try to scare you instead of actually educating you. So about, you know, drugs and sex as well. They try and terrify you that you're going to get an STD and, you know, you're going to get someone pregnant. Definitely. Instead of dealing with strategies about if you end up using drugs or end up having sex, how to mitigate the negative effects or possible outcomes. I believe there needs to be a lot more honest and open discussion about sex and drugs. And currently, I think 
that is kind of happening. Um, it seems like I know there's like a crazy amount of outrage about the education system, basically from both sides. And I think some good things are coming of it. And I think that some things are going on the pretty extreme side um, in regards to, you know, openness about sex and everything. Because more, you know, when you're extremely young in elementary school, I think that they should be honest about sex, but I don't think they need to go into all of the graphic details and teach kids how to have sex at that age. You know, in high school, that makes more sense um, to get more information. But I believe if the kids are able to ask questions about it, then we should be honest with them about, you know, what are the chances of someone getting pregnant? What are the chances of getting STDs? Um, what are the chances of getting addicted to certain drugs and what their actual effects are, what the chances of you using drugs and becoming successful or, you know, a failure actually are. Because as you grow up, you know that there's many people, I mean, everyone knows someone that has done drugs, does drugs, and they're still successful. So if that's the case, obviously the conclusion can't be if you do drugs, that's bad and it ruins your life. But that's what they tried to tell us, at least when I was in school. And sex is the same thing. You know, you're going to get someone pregnant. You're going to get an STD. Here's a bunch of horrible images of that. And look how horrible it is to have a kid when you're a teenager or a young adult. That's one big thing that I think honesty could really benefit our society in those areas so that at least when you're growing up, you start to understand what the actual consequences are of these different things. And for me, I mean, I'm a proponent of basically legalizing all drugs. And the reason for that is because people get access to them anyway. The black market is extremely negative and gives power to horrible, murderous regimes throughout the world. And I believe legalizing them in the right way with proper legislation and restrictions, regulations, would make a benefit to society in the form of not having tainted drugs that are killing people and being able to not have this horrible stigma around it as well if someone does get caught up in a drug use cycle so that we can actually get them help and it's not all hidden in the dark. So it's also the same with, you know, I believe that putting people in jail for using drugs is wrong for using any drug. Um, I believe if that drug leads you to commit an act of violence or theft or any other criminal act, then of course that person person should be charged and you know suffer the consequences of any of those acts my entire beliefs on that system is for another time but i believe that <clears throat> having an open discussion about all these things even with children um would be very beneficial and there wouldn't be as much anger from teenagers at adults because they keep lying to them and telling them, you know, 
the incorrect way to think about how life actually is. And they basically try and sell them on like a fantasy because most teenagers are going to end up having sex. So why not teach them the right way to protect themselves and have a good experience without all of the fear? Um, so that is one of the main things that I believe is that our education system tries to use fear to control us instead of education and honesty to actually educate us and bring us up to the next level of consciousness so that we're aware of all these things and how to actually try and live a good life. So that leads me to the next, you know, points as well, where um, I said freedom of choice and what's what is important in life and the importance of, you know, schooling and what they teach us in school, in my perspective, is just so insignificant compared to, you know, the actual values that you end up holding and how you live your life. And that really, you know, it upsets me that it's not taught in school more and there's not more philosophy from a young age. And I understand people have tried to push, you know, religion either into schools or out of schools, but I'm not really for, you know, them teaching religion specifically, but philosophical principles of these different religions could really benefit kids growing up and give them concepts that they could end up using for the rest of their lives. Also, while they're going through school, um, there was no philosophy courses available until I was in college. And so I didn't graduate from college. I also didn't graduate from high school. I got a GED, but I went to um, a local community college near me. And that was the first time I was able to study philosophy in a classroom setting. Uh, I was interested in philosophy before that and had already been into some books on that and studying myself, basically. But um, I mean, I, I can't imagine the reason that we wouldn't teach children philosophy and, you know, have discussions about how one becomes happy in life and leads a good life, a successful life. So I, I believe that that's a way of, or I believe that's a form of dishonesty in the education system as well, is that there's just entire, you know, topics and basically entire subjects that are left out that are some of the most important topics in life. And they're thrown away for learning math, science, history, and English um, instead of actually learning how to live a good life and even have like strength of character and being able to accomplish actual tasks in the real world. So physically manipulating space, you know, like doing drywall in your house or doing tile or plumbing, understanding how electrical systems work in buildings and practical knowledge like that um, should be, should have much more precedent than it does. So a lot of those things are going to end up being important when you have your own apartment or your own home and you're going to have to learn them later in life instead of during a period where the school system's already teaching you for all of these years. So that's what I have basically on, 
you know, school's failure of honesty. So I want to move on to voting um, reasons people don't vote and hopefully how we can get more people to vote um, in the national and also local elections as well. Uh, first, I just want to go a little bit over the importance of honesty and how I think that can help people. And I mean, it's basically the main issue that honesty helps with is understanding. So understanding each other in any relationship, you know, between acquaintances or friends or coworkers or, you know, any kid and adults relationship or an employee and an employer, when you have honesty, you can actually have an understanding of what each other wants. So if you don't have that honesty, then your communication is going to be worse and you're not going to understand the reasons for people's actions. So it's going to be harder to decipher why people are actually doing things. And that just leads to all sorts of inefficiencies and then a lot more difficult conversations and decisions down the line. Um, and that's basically in ev every single interaction, you know, interactions that a customer has with a business. Um, you know, and marketing and everything like that, even with marketing, you know, when these people show up um, to perform a service or something, and then the cost is higher than what they said. I mean, this leads to frustration instead of understanding. It might have gotten the business a customer for the day, but down the line, the customer is going to try to find someone else if they were upset about the lie that the business told them. So like in my business, I'm always trying to be honest with my customers. So basically, you know, honesty leads to less frustration and better understanding. That's what I believe at least. And I understand that people are flawed. We're not perfect. So I'm not perfect. And being honest is difficult. And it takes courage to be honest in a lot of different situations. Um, so I understand it's not going to be honesty 100% of the time. But the more honest that we can be with each other, the better our relationships and understandings are going to be. Um, so let's move on to voting then. That's all I have on the topic of honesty, which took a lot longer than what I had expected previously. Um, so moving on to voting um, and the reasons people don't do it, um, I just looked up, you know, on Google, a basic article, and I, I looked through quite a few articles to get some information on voting, why people don't do it, and how many people actually do vote in this country, so in the United States. Um, I believe that we should just all vote, no matter what the reason is. Um, some of the reasons are definitely legitimate. And then the other reasons, I used to think some of them had um, legitimacy, but, you know, they really don't when you think about it, especially if you're talking about just a presidential election. So I'll just list the reasons and then we'll go over them for a little bit. So uh, reason number one, some people want to vote, but they can't. Number two, their socioeconomic status affects their ability to vote. Um, election day is Tuesday, so that's the third reason. Um, four, the voter doesn't feel that candidates represent their views. And then number five, um, citizens don't believe 
that their ballot matters at all. Um, so we'll just start at number one here. You know, some people want to vote, but they can't. Um, I'm actually going to focus on number four and five the most because those are the most important voters, I think, because they're choosing not to vote. So these other people, we can always help with that. Um, and hopefully we can get more of them to vote as well. But um, some of the reasons that people want to vote, but they can't, is that they're either a current or former prisoner or they're, they have felonies on their record. So they're not allowed to vote in whatever state um, makes their laws basically on voting. Um, I'm actually not for people losing their right to vote if they're in prison. Um, I believe that everyone should be able to vote just because you committed a crime doesn't mean that you don't get to get a say in the society that you live in. Um, but at least there's, you know, a reason for them not being able to vote. So I can't argue too hard against that. Um, no ID is, you know, a big issue these days. Of course, um, the Democrats keep pushing that you know, there's all these people that don't have IDs and you shouldn't have an ID to vote. I actually believe that you should have an ID to vote, but I do believe that since we're required to have an ID, I mean, in my state of Michigan, we already have that requirement. So there's no argument about it, um, you know, from my side, it doesn't matter, it's already here. Um, but so I do think that IDs should be distributed. If our state knows we exist, we all have social security numbers and state identification numbers. So the state, I believe, should be proactive in seeking out people that don't have IDs and providing it to them. Um, most people have an ID already and they're very easy to access. And now you can get an um an ID, a state ID online as well. Um, a lot of people probably don't know that, especially if they don't have an ID, but the state will provide you with an ID for free and you can get them online without going anywhere. So like I said, I am on the side of people needing an ID to vote just because I believe that we should have elections um, where everyone who votes, we know who they are, and um, we don't want fraud in the elections. But like I said, I mean, if the state could be proactive about providing them, that would help because I want more people to vote rather than less, whether or not they're a Democrat or Republican or independent or vote for any other party. I don't care. I believe that we should all be able to vote. Um, one of the things that people want to vote, but they can't, is they live in the U.S. territories um, like Guam, Puerto Rico, and there's the Virgin Islands, a few others. So I believe that they should have a vote as well. They are part of our country. I understand that they're not states, and I don't really know enough information about the debate of either letting them in to um, be a state or not. But I believe if you're under the American system of governance, then you should have a vote in it because you're a member. So I don't see that changing anytime soon, but I would say we should let them vote as well. Um, so some of the other things here moving on to socioeconomic status, 
you know, transportation um, barriers or they, you know, a, a citizen can't afford to take the time off of work. So I'm just going to say on these ones, there is a lot of things that we can do um, if we really want to vote. So, you know, not being able to afford to take the time off of work. I mean, if you're if you're talking about for a presidential election, that's more of an excuse. You don't really care enough to vote. I mean, there's this is one day out of every four years. So there's many ways around that. And a lot of people will say, you know, oh, my employer doesn't give me the day off. But the polls are open in my state from, you know, six in the morning until eight at night. So if you were going to work a 14 hour shift that day, you should probably go to your employer. If you really want to vote and I want you to, you should talk to your employer and ask them if they can find a time in there. You know, if you're putting in 14 hour days for them, I think they can allow you to get off. Um for a couple hours to go vote once every four years or every two, if you want to be involved in the midterm elections, which I would, which I would advocate for you to do as well. But if your employer is not going to be able to let you get out of the workplace for a couple hours, every four years, I'd say you probably think about uh, what's going on in your employment situation as well. So um, I know that as an employer myself, if any of my employees said, hey, I want to take a long lunch. Hey, I want to come in a little bit late. I want to get off a little bit early. It's election day. I have no problem with that. Um, I understand every employer is not as lenient as I am. But, you know, once every four years is a pretty good argument that you could make to vote. It's it's so infrequent, infrequent that it could barely, you know, affect the business. Um, the transportation issue. I understand how people might think that they won't be able to get transportation, but so there are a lot of transportation options out there. I think that the main barrier of transportation um, is basically that people don't have the information of how they can get to the polls. So they might think that they don't have access to transportation, but in most states and locations, uh, there are many options. I did put some you know, resources in the show notes and sources for the information that I'm presenting today. So if you're one of the people who don't know how to get transportation to an election, you know, you can go to the show notes and um, look at some of the articles that I posted that'll lead you to different organizations that do offer transportation to um, the polls, basically, so that you can, you know, get your voice heard. Um, so in Michigan, in my state here, uh, Michigan's smart bus transportation was free on election day. So being able to get to any polls, as long as you could get to a smart bus location, it was free. Um, Lyft was offering 50% off for rides to polling locations on election day. This is in the 2020 presidential election. Um, 10 of the nation's largest public transit systems and many small and medium-sized transit systems in the U.S. were completely free travel to go to the polls on Election Day. And then there are a lot of other organizations that are out there that are helping people to go to polls, and they try to promote, but obviously you can't reach everybody. Uh, one of them is the National Council on Aging. 
were trying to help older Americans to exercise their right to vote. So, you know, I have a link to the article there about how the NCOA is trying to help and um, all these different systems. So, you know, if you think that you don't have transportation to vote, there are a lot of things out there. Look around on the internet, especially for disabled, homeless, elderly, you know. Um, so those resources are out there. And I hope that you can utilize them to make your voice heard. Um, so another thing, Michigan actually upheld a ban on paid election day transport. So Lyft system was left out of that, I believe. Um, and also, I do agree that there's reasons that it was banned. So one of the arguments was that the political parties could be paying for certain people to go to the polls and not other people. And then it kind of becomes a money and power, you know, combination issue. So I haven't really looked into it enough, but it does seem unfair that if a candidate had more money than another candidate, they could spend that on buses to get people to go to polls. In the national election, I feel like it couldn't really affect it that much, but in a lot of local elections, if a candidate was allowed to do that and they happened to be a millionaire and another candidate was running and they didn't have money, it would be very unfair for the one to be able to pay for buses of people to go to a polls and vote for them. Um, that's just my really quick take on it. But that's what I have on the transportation aspect there. And the Tuesday election day, like I said, I mean, if you can't get off work, you know, there's... If you have enough passion, I know you can, you know, work something out with your employer to work a few extra hours on a different day or a different week or something. Um, but Sunday is the most common voting day in other countries um, around the world. And I don't see why it couldn't be changed to, you know, a better day. But the same issue still stands where some people have to work on Sundays anyway. So there's still going to be that same problem with those people anyway. Um, so the most important ones that I think are the people who don't vote because they think it doesn't count or they think that they're not represented, so there's no one to vote for. Those are basically the people who this podcast is, you know, made for. I mean, I want people to stop voting personally. Personally, I want people to stop voting for all these Republicans and Democrats, because I believe that they're more of one giant party that runs the country how they want. And, you know, they play all these games acting like they hate each other, but things keep seeming to benefit them and not the people. So the main people that I want to reach to are people who think their vote doesn't count. So my message to them is that if you think your vote doesn't count, why not just go vote anyway? I mean, it's not going to hurt you. There's, especially if it's just in the presidential election, this is only once every four years. I mean, it's not like if you can't, you know, it's not like you can't find time once every four years to go vote. So that's, that's one of the things, if it doesn't count, then it's not going to count anyway. But if you don't vote, you wouldn't know that. So if you don't vote currently because you think that your vote doesn't count, I would ask you to join my side and vote against the Republican and Democratic parties 
just to try and get some notoriety for any third party and really change the way that elections are in this country. Um, if you're one of the people who don't feel that candidates represent your views, I'm right here with you, and that's why I don't vote for Republicans and Democrats. I mean, I haven't in the presidential election, in local elections, I have voted for Democrats and Republicans before because I choose based on their policy views, their actions, and how I feel about them. Um, but most of the time I don't. But in the national election, I never have because none of the people I feel like represent anywhere near what my views are. So if you don't feel that the candidates that are the options represent your views, um, I feel you, but just come and vote for someone else to get your voice heard because when you're just left out, people are confused about, you know, why all these people aren't voting instead of they can see, oh, these people don't believe they're represented by the two main parties. Look at this other party that they might support, though, actually. So for these two groups of people, the articles I was looking at said that it's about 7% of people that don't vote because they don't feel that candidates represent their views. And it's about 15% of people that don't think that their vote counts at all. So, I mean, that's 22% um, of the people who don't vote. So even that portion, I mean, if we can convince those people to vote and they would come and join towards a third party, um, or even if it was spread out over multiple third parties, that would be a very noticeable increase in those parties and something to contend with, at least from the Democrats and Republicans. They wouldn't be able to dismiss them as literally nothing. I mean, 1% of the vote, you know, combined throughout all the other parties they don't even have to give them a thought. So what my purpose of this entire podcast is, is to hopefully bring in third parties and bring them to light to other people to realize that we do have a choice. We don't have to just listen to these two parties um, and always choose from them. Uh, so we'll just go over really quick how many people do vote. So right now in the 2020 election, it was one of the biggest elections we've had in decades. And 62.8% or 158.4 million people of voting age voted in the 2020 presidential election. So um, right now, the U.S. ranks 31st in percentage of voters that show up for a national election. So there's 30 countries that have people show up at higher rates than us. And, you know, I believe that we should be raising our rates as well, but a lot of other countries are in the 60s and lower as well. And, you know, we need citizens to come out and get their voice heard. Voting is one of the main ways that we can tell our leaders what we want. The rate of voting in local elections, in most local elections, is even lower than the national elections. So remember, you know, you have even more power in your local and state elections because you're not one in 250 million, you know, in the state of Michigan, we have around 10 million population. So you're one in 10 million if you're in Michigan voting. And you're, you know, in my county, there's a couple million people. So your vote counts even more. 
And then in my town, there's only 35,000 people. So being a voice of one in 35,000 is going to have a lot bigger impact than one in 250 million people. Um, and then one of the things where we could get more people to vote would be to have automatic voter registration. And some states in the U.S. do, but not most of them. And I believe that it would be super easy. We have social security numbers already, so it's not like we're not in the system. We should be automatically registered. You should just be able to walk to a polling place. If you've moved residences, it should be automatically updated. Our systems can you know, deal with this now. In the past, I understand there had to be books updated and everything, but these are all digital computerized systems now, and they should be able to be updated you know, very rapidly and you should be able to walk into a polling place and be registered immediately without having to go through anything. Um, so that's just some statistics there. And some of the sources I got these from were uh, globalcitizen.org, Pew Research, Lyft.com, ClickOnDetroit.com, Transit.dot.dot.gov, and NCOA.org. So those resources will be in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. Um, but also there's so many resources on this information. You know, if you Google around, especially if you're looking for transportation or other ways to vote as well, such as absentee ballots, there's services to help you get absentee ballots um, and early voting in a lot of uh, states as well. Well, that's all the time that I have for today. but. Um, we'll be covering, obviously, how to get more people to vote and hopefully trying to convince more people to get to the polls and maybe switch from a Republican or a Democrat to an independent. That's what I advocate for as well. Um, and just like always, I just want to remind everybody, if you're in political discussions with people and they have different views than you, most of them aren't nefariously trying to harm you or ruin this country. They're trying to do what they think is best for their family and themselves and their friends, and usually their community as well. And they just have a different opinion on how we're going to get to a similar place because most people, especially in America, want a better world. When we just disagree about the way we're gonna get there, I don't think it benefits us very much to bring all of that hate out because it takes it to a personal level rather than just having a misunderstanding about what everyone's position is. So I just want this podcast to be a reminder to you to try to treat people with respect even when they have differing opinions, and maybe we can help to move this country forward together. So that's it for today, and remember to always vote your conscience.